Do you see this book right here? This is a very famous book, Darwin's Origin of Species. Now, the reason I'm showing it to you is because we've made this available to all of our young people because now we really believe in evolution. Now, this, this particular copy of The Origin of Species uh, we obtained from a ministry that has placed within it a foreword or an introduction where they completely take apart the theory of evolution. And what I shared a, a number of weeks ago on uh, what came first, the lungs, the heart, the circulatory system, the blood, all of that that I went through that one night, much of that I culled from this right here. We're making this available to our kids because we know what they're being taught in school and we think that it's a, a, a shame. And not only that, it's not uh, scientifically proven. It remains a theory and that's all that it is. So some of the most powerful dismantling of the theory of evolution that I've ever read is in the introduction to this book. The founder of the ministry, Ray Steadman, they put this together. He's the one that's always on TV with Kirk Cameron, the English-speaking, Canadian-speaking guy. I don't know which he is, but it's him. When they took this to colleges to give it away, they were persecuted. They, they were threatened. They were everything in the world because they had in here a dismantling of the theory. Richard Dawkins, one of the foremost uh, teachers of evolution, wrote a book, several books, best-selling books on atheism, has refused to meet Ray Steadman in a debate. He's refused. Now, the only reason I'm showing this to you is because we have it back there in the bookstore, and I want you to know about it, because most of you are connected to family or friends or something that are hung up in evolution, believe in evolution, and if you want to get them this and just give it to them, it is so powerful. So, yes, it's a Trojan horse. We're saying here's the origin of species, but in the beginning of it, our true intent is there, which is to dismantle what comes next. So there it is. It's in the bookstore. We've got a bunch of them ordered uh, and available out there if you want it, all right? Let's pray together, and we're going to look tonight at Adam and Eve's judgment. Father, we just thank you for the Word of God. And that, Lord, it has stood the test of time. And, Lord, we thank you that the book of Genesis is a true account of man. It's a true account of history and from whence we have come. We thank you, Lord, for the creation account. We thank you for the truth of the fall of man and the consequences of that fall and that a Redeemer was sent to redeem us from that fall. Now open our eyes and open our mind and our hearts to understand your word, and we thank you for it. Can you just breathe a prayer, church, and say, Lord, renew my mind tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you can be seated. Let's look at this now. Um, this to me is so very important because until you understand and accept the fall of man, uh, really people don't make much sense to you. We hear all the time in the news things like this. How could they have dot, dot, dot? How could they have done that? How could he have said that? How could she have committed that? How could that kind of an atrocity have happened? But it no longer mystifies you when you understand the fall of man and what happened when we lost paradise. Now, last time we saw that God first judged the serpent and Satan. He first judged those two, the serpent and Satan. And he said that the serpent would be doomed to lick the dust of the ground all of his days. 
Satan, on the other hand, would experience what, everyone? War. War from who? That he would be defeated by the seed of the woman. And the seed of the woman was uh, Genesis 3.15 is the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. In Genesis 3.15, God says, I'm going to send the seed of the woman, talking about a Messiah, and he is going to bruise Satan's head and Satan will bruise his heel. Well, look what it says, I will cause hostility or war between you and the woman, between your offspring and her offspring, and he will strike your head and you will strike his heel. Now, in the, in the Bible, when it talks about the striking of a head, that, that means a death blow. The striking of the head was a death blow. The striking of the heel we know happened when? Right here. Uh, this verse, John 3.16 in the Old Testament, Genesis 3.15. It's easy to remember 3.15, 3.16, John 3.16, Genesis 3.15. On the cross, Satan bruised the heel of Jesus Christ. When those uh, stakes went through his heel, they went through sideways. They did not break a bone. They went sideways in between the bones and nailed him to the tree. When that happened, Genesis 3.15 was halfway fulfilled. All right? And then when Jesus Christ returns in the second advent or the second coming, which is very soon, he will deliver a, a death blow to Satan's head. Amen. And let's look at it. The devil. This is where the, it's prophesied. Revela- Revelation 20, verse 10. The devil who deceived them. John said, I saw and he was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are, and they will be tormented day and night, forever and forever. And that level of judgment, I can't wrap my mind around. It never, ever, ever ends. That's stunning. That's the devil's fate. When this verse happens, then the rest of Genesis 3.15 is fulfilled. There's the death blow. He's gone forever. Now, while the first part of God's judgment involved war, the second part of God's sentence involved woe. You know, here, woe is me. Anytime God speaks a woe over you, you're in trouble. When God says woe unto you, you're in trouble. But now, what, what is the woe? First war, then woe. Well, he was talking to the woman. Every woman in here say, woe is me. Because he was talking to the woman now. He turns to the woman. He says, here's the woe. It's two-part. I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. And in pain, you will give birth. And you will desire to control your husband. Is that what that said? Did it say that? Wait a minute. Have I got a, did I get some weird Bible? Because I know no women who are like that. Ladies, now... Don't feel bad because I'm going to get the guy before the night's over. So guys, don't amen too loud because you're next. But I want you to look at what the woe is. Here's the Bible, and it's very important we understand this. He says, you're going to have pain in childbirth. That's, that was not his original plan. It was to be a thing of joy to give birth. But after the curse, the woe, no. Then you'll desire to control your husband, but here's the woe. He'll rule over you. I'm going to explain that 
So you ladies, let go of the sides of your chair and relax and breathe deep. Okay. Now, the woe that God spoke of focused on two things. There would be sorrow centering in the area of a woman's greatest fulfillment and in the bringing forth of children. That is a woman's greatest fulfillment, to bring forth a child. But there's going to be great woe in that great pain. So that was the first one. I will sharpen the pain of your pregnancy. Who did it? God did it. Why did God do it? Because of the fall. Ladies and gentlemen, we have got to come to terms with the fall. You can't escape the consequences of the fall. No fall, we don't need a Savior. No fall, we don't need a Redeemer. No fall, Jesus came in vain. We've got to come to terms with the fall. And every day, you and I live in the consequences of the fall. Now, it will one day be finally and ultimately reversed. The curse will be reversed, and we will have paradise regained. But in the meantime, there were consequences for the fall. And God brought them. God did it. Teaching us that it's a moral universe. It's a moral universe only because we have a choice. If we had no choice, we wouldn't be in a moral universe. Because morals are there because there is a choice. No choice, no morals. You're just a robot. Doing what God programmed you to do. But... We live in a moral universe with every decision having consequences. Every decision has consequences, good or bad. That's God's moral universe, and you can't escape that. You can't get away from that. All you can do is come to terms with it and learn from it and do your best to honor God and obey God because it is a world of consequences. Best thing you can do with your children is teach them consequences. If you try to shield them from every consequence, you're damaging them. That's why so often you'll see rich people. Nothing wrong with being rich, but you'll see rich parents use their money and, and wield their power to try to shield their children from consequences. And they're only damaging them. Because if you make a wrong decision, you will hurt for it and you need to hurt for it because that's how you learn. And that's where spanking comes in. And I'm going to go ahead and say it tonight. I may be arrested for this. But one of the most damaging books to ever hit the American bookshelves was by Dr. Spock when he said, don't spank. No. Because if God whoops me, and he does, and I told you Sunday, he'll whoop you. Matter of fact, if you're his child, you, there's no way you're going to escape the chastening of God from time to time. Now, if God whips us, why should we not discipline our own children. I didn't mean to say abuse. I said they've got to connect wrong with pain, wrong with negative consequences, or they'll end up in jail, or they'll end up in prison, or they will end up miserable. And there would also be not just pain in childbirth, but to the woman, he says, there will be subservience. The one flesh relationship which she enjoyed with her husband would be subject to the strain of competing wills. Now let's go back to the garden. We're going back to the Garden of Eden. What was it like? What about the way we were? How were we? Well, well here's the verse again. You will desire, he says to, to the woman, 
you will desire to control Adam and all of your descendants will, but he'll rule over you. Now, here's, here's the fact. Marriage was made in heaven, but it was marred by hell. Marriage was made in heaven. It was marred by hell. Before sin affected the character of man, are you ready for this? Conflict simply did not exist between man and woman. There was never an argument. You know why? Well, he, uh, she had no mother-in-law where he could say, my mama cooked better than you because they didn't exist. There were no in-law problems because there weren't any. They were first. And so you had this marriage made in heaven but marred by hell. As soon as the fall happened, folks, please understand the inner character of Adam and Eve were changed. It was changed. All right? There was perfect harmony between them before the fall. There was no division of mind, no division in thinking, because the Lord had created them in a state of innocence. So there was never a spat, never a disagreement, because they were created in a state of innocence. Think about it. There was never a crossword, never a disagreement, never a competition of the will which is where most arguments and most fights and most trouble come from. Ernie, I'm going to call you down here for prayer in a minute. <laughs> oh, boy. Now, catch this with me. There, there wasn't. It, it, it is in the arena of competing wills that there is conflict. I'm, I'm so moved and, and constantly stunned by the accuracy of the Word of God. Here's Moses under the moving of the Holy Spirit, penning the book of Genesis, moved by the Holy Ghost, and he nails the primary problem in marriages. It's the competing wills. And what God had to do to fix it, Adam was the leader of the two, while the woman was given as a help meat now what in the world does that mean because that sounds like she's lesser than or subservient to in a negative way that she's maybe a doormat or the way that uh, women are viewed in so many Arab countries as less than the way Islam views women less than mistreats women degrades women to a great extent and not just in Islam, but many world religions and many cultures do not put the... Matter of fact, you ladies, all of you ladies in here and listening by radio ought to thank God for Jesus Christ. Because Jesus Christ raised women to a level that had never before existed. In the Old Testament, man, if she flipped the eggs wrong, he divorced her. But Jesus said, no, no, no. He lifted women to a level of respect and esteem every woman in the world every feminist in the world ought to love the Lord Jesus Christ and appreciate him because of what he did for women now when it says help meet what does that mean the word meet in the original means at the side of or mate very very important here Eve was to be a helper one called alongside Adam to help him in his work to walk next to him in life to be a companion and a blessing. Remember, God had looked at Adam and said, it is not good for that dude to be alone. 
It is not good. He's the only one of my creation that does not have a counterpart. Everything else, all the other created creatures that are alive have a counterpart, but not Adam. So he created the woman because he said it's not good. But at the temptation of Eve, it was the woman's desire to become equal with God through rebellion. Remember that? Satan had promised that she would be like God, knowing good and evil. How did he get to her? You will be like God, knowing good and evil. To be like God would have meant also ruling over Adam. Now ladies, tune into this. To be like God would have been ruling over Adam rather than at his side as a helper. She would have been one up on him. But this was not God's plan. Eve was made to be Adam's completer, not his competitor. You all hear that? She was made to be his completer, not his competitor. But something happened in the fall. What did the Lord do? He placed the woman under the authority of her husband as a reproof for her rebellion against the authority of God. So she said, or so God said to her, the only thing that I can do to fix this, now that your nature from the fall has been affected, just like the man, man's has, that we'll see in a moment, but Eve, because your character has been affected by the fall, what would have been natural to you, I'm going to have to command you to do it. What was natural in the original creation, I'm going to have to command you to do it. Because it's not going to come natural to you. I've always found it interesting. Whenever I do a wedding, um, I always read out of Ephesians 5 where Paul gives two instructions. He says to the man, love your wife as Christ also loved the church. Love your wife as Christ also loved the church. Why do you have to tell the man to love his wife as Christ also loved the church? Because man in his fallen state is self-centered, is selfish, and would not sacrificially love naturally. So he tells the man, you be sure that you make the decision to agape your wife, love your wife, and sometimes, fella, guy, it's going to have to be a decision. Because it doesn't come natural to you. It comes more natural to your fallen state to isolate, to be selfish, to think of yourself, to be focused on your business, and to not have her where God wants her to be in your world. How many times have we heard testimonies from men who put their business first and lost their marriage? How many times have we heard of men who came home and the home was empty, the furniture was gone, and he was the most shocked of all? I thought everything was fine. And she's got a grocery list of everything that was wrong. And you know what you find a lot of the time? He wasn't loving her. She was... He, she was just sort of there to take care of the kids and cook the meals and keep the house clean and do her part, but, but not that sacrificial loving. So he had to tell the guy, you be sure you love the church. But now what's he say to the woman? Does he say to the woman, now you be sure you love your husband? No, he doesn't need to because the woman is naturally emotionally wired. So what do you have to tell the woman to do? You be sure you respect your husband. You be sure you re reverence your husband. In those two commands, the two primary weaknesses in men and women are revealed. 
The man's weakness is not to love her like he ought to. The woman's weakness is not to reverence him like she should. Isn't this fun? Isn't this fun? See, folks, because of the fall, we always regularly have to be pulled up by the Word. That's why I tell you, you can't get out of the Word. If you get out of the Word of God, it's not if you drift, it's when you drift. Because our nature naturally goes down. He said, well, we're born again. Yes, but we're still wrapped in flesh. Anybody who thinks their flesh is gone, raise your hand. You're deluded. You know your flesh isn't gone. We're born again, but our flesh, we're still in a body of flesh. And so Paul says, what I want to do, I don't do. What I don't want to do, that very thing I do. Oh, who will deliver me from the body of this death? Thank be to God who will do it through Jesus Christ our Lord. But in the meantime, we need the word daily to pull us up where we ought to be. So I need to read... The guys need to read, love your wives as Christ loved the church. And the women need to read, reverence your husband. Well, I don't feel like reverencing him. We'll do it anyway. It's obedience. How many times do you act in faith when you don't feel like it? Some of you were here tonight, and initially you didn't feel like coming, but you're here, and now you really wish you hadn't come. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. But isn't this what we need to hear now? Because, see, this is the problem with the sexes. And God knew that the woman would be so inclined to assert her will against the man and want to rule the roost and take the lead. That's what he knew. He says, Oop, Eve, you fell. It's affected your character. So now you're going to have to, you're going to have to Submit to his leadership on purpose and reverence his position in God. And it's not going to come natural. Ever since the fall, the woman's primary relational battle has been in the area of submission to the leadership of the man. Look at the entire women's liberation movement, which had nothing to do with equal pay for equal job. Nothing. That was the Trojan horse. What was inside the Trojan horse? Rebellion against men and rebellion against the rule and the authority of God. And let Jane Fonda come and find me and slap me. I don't care. It's true. The women's lib movement was a farce. It had nothing to do with equal pay for equal tasks. I believe every woman ought to make as much as a man for the same job. But that's not what women's lib was all about. It was coming against God's order. That's what it was. It was a rebellion movement. It's not primarily a rebellion against men. It's, all, it's, a, it's against the very authority of God, the women's movement. It's against the word of God. Simon Peter addressed this very issue. Listen to what he said. In the same way, you wives must accept the authority of your husbands. Let me ask you, lady, something. Does that mean he's always right and then you accept his authority? No. You know how I know that? Because Abraham lied. He, could, he wouldn't even claim Sarah as his wife. She almost got sexually assaulted by a king because that dude was a coward. Did she go in there, though, to that castle? 
When that king kidnapped her, did she start screaming, my husband's a liar, my husband's a liar, my husband's a liar, my husband's a lion dog. <laughs> no. What'd she do? She just stayed real quiet, and God woke that king up and said, you touch her, I kill you. Next day, he found Abraham quick, brought Sarah, and said, what are you doing lying to me about her? You lied to me, and you're trying to tell me you're a prophet of God. Abraham was like, that's the father of our faith. <laughs> wow, what an example. What a stellar example. See, he was not perfect, but look what it says. This is how, now what's he talking about? Accepting the authority of the husband. This is how the holy women of old made themselves beautiful. They trusted God and accepted the authority of their husbands. For instance, Sarah obeyed her husband, Abraham. Now, I could have used King James where it says, and called him Lord. But I didn't figure that'd go over real good here tonight. Matter of fact, if I was ever around you, and I heard you, lady, call your husband Lord. I'm going to go off in prayer for you. There's something kind of weird about that. So I wanted to, don't call me Lord ever, Kathy. Well, you can try it once or twice. I'll let you try it once or twice, but don't call me Lord as a rule. But now, because the King James, New King James, I think even the NIV says something like Lord. But it, what it really means is, call him my dear husband. You are her daughter's. When you do what is right without fear of what your husband might do. Because when you submit to the husband as the leader, or the husband loves the wife the way the Bible says, you're doing it as unto the Lord ultimately, and not unto a person. Okay? So, you want to be a daughter of Sarah? The first couple of faith? Then ladies, you respect the authority of the husband. Now, I'm not talking about an abuse situation. That's not what I'm talking about. I believe if a husband ever strikes a wife, she ought to hit the door. Now, I'm not saying divorce. I don't want to be misunderstood. You're going to have to work it through. But in an abuse situation, if it gets down to a husband striking a wife, he has stepped over an invisible line you've gone way too far, alarm bells need to go off, people need to find out about it, help needs to come down on that situation quickly, and that woman needs to be protected. That's not what I'm saying. There's a huge area in between those extremes. He's not going to be perfect. She's not going to be perfect. So you respond the way God said in obedience to God, whether or not they do everything just so. Well, it's quiet in here tonight. It's quiet in here tonight. Let me ask you this question. How many times do you worship the Lord when at first you don't feel like it? Huh? How many times? You know, but once you start worshiping Him, all of a sudden you want to. The anointing comes upon you. All of life is that way in faith. You don't feel like doing something that God commands you to do all the time, but you do it. And you sense his grace on it, and he blesses it. And that's why you do it. Now, in other words, you are Sarah's daughters if you remain a, retain, or maintain a right attitude in the eyes of God, whether or not your husband does right. Now, in case you think God is being unfair, here comes the husbands. Now, go ahead and nudge him now. Nudge him now and get it out. 
and don't do it anymore. He'll be black and blue by the time I'm done. <laughs> Listen to what Peter tells the husbands next. In the same way, you married men should live considerately with your wives with an intelligent recognition of the marriage relation. Honoring the woman as physically weaker, but realizing that you're joint equal heirs of God's grace. She's physically weaker, but you're both equal at the cross and in the sight of God. Nowhere does the Bible say that the man has more value than the woman. He just says the man's stronger. Now, I've seen situations where, frankly, in a couple, the woman could whoop that guy big time. I've seen it. But for the most part, let's face it, the man is stronger by nature. He's made this way because he's made to be the leader. God designed him that way. He's made, he was made originally to work that land, to hunt that game. He was the man. He's the stronger of the two. That's just a fact. I think one of the stupidest things that can happen is when we put women on the battlefield. That is basically saying, God, I am denying the way you made a woman. Uh, it, they, they tried this. They tried this in a couple of Israeli wars. They decided they were going to put the woman. I, I believe this happened in the 1967 Six Day War. Uh, I'm not sure about that. It was one of those wars uh, back after the, Israel became a nation again. They decided to put women in the women in the battlefield. And they reneged on that within days because here's what happened. The men on the battlefield with the women were always stepping in to protect the women because that's their natural instinct. And the women did not have the strength to fight like the men. And it was causing such disarray in the army, in the Israeli army, they pulled the women off. There's nothing wrong with admitting the woman is physically weaker. That's not a negative. It's just a fact. I don't want a woman that can whoop me. <laughs> I'm sorry. I don't. I don't want a woman who's, you know, walking along. I just don't. Everybody, every guy in here say, I like feminine. I'm just being myself here tonight on spring break. I'm sorry, y'all. But watch it now. <laughs> uh, now, look what he says to the men. You treat him, you treat him with respect, and you treat, treat him with tenderness in order that your prayers may not be hindered and cut off. Guys, can you imagine praying all the time for nothing? Because if you're praying, being Mr. Spiritual, and you're treating your woman like dirt, Pray away, dude. It's not going above the ceiling. Because God says, I'm going to cut off your prayers, and they're going to be hindered, and you cannot pray effectively if you're treating your woman bad. Amen. That's enough to motivate some of you single guys to never get married. Because <laughs> look at the burden. Look at the responsibility. It just goes to show you, as home goes so goes your spiritual life Whew, 
real here tonight on Wednesday night, isn't it? But this is the fact. So guys, how many of you guys want your prayers to be heard? Then you, then you have to treat your woman with respect and gentleness and thoughtfulness or your prayers will be hindered. Now let's move along. So the second woe for the woman was that she would have to learn submission in spite of her own strong will. Now let's move on. And finally, the third part of God's judgment fell on Adam, the male. He saved him for last. With Adam, God pronounces a curse on work. So with Satan, it was war. With the woman, it was woe. With the man, it's work. He touched the man at what matters the most to a man. And that's what he does. Men, men identify themselves by what they do. A woman identifies herself by who she's with and her surroundings, her home. But a man defines himself by what he does. So many men, when they retire, slip into deep depression because their whole identity has been wrapped around what they did. And that's not right. I'll deal with that sometime. But let's look at this. He says to the man, since you listened to your wife and ate from the tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat, the ground is cursed because of you. All your life you will struggle to scratch a living from it. Now, he, God goes on to say, the ground will grow thorns and thistles for you, though you will eat of its grains. You're going to eat from it, but it's going to be ten times the labor to get anything out of it. He said, by the sweat of your brow, you will have food to eat until you return to the ground. Now, here's news for Adam. Wait a minute, what? Because you created me to be eternal. What do you mean return to the ground? Until you return to the ground from which you were made, right there, God said, you're going to die. Now look, for you were made from dust, and to the dust, Adam, you're going to return. Wow, that wasn't supposed to happen. Y'all see the power of the fall? There was to be unrewarding toil, hard labor on a sin-cursed earth. Now, let's uh, look at this. The man would have to toil for a living because the ground, which had naturally, before the fall, had naturally produced plants for food. They just went around and picked them. Was now cursed to grow thorns and thistles because of the fall. Now, here's Matthew Henry, one of my favorite commentators. Here's what he says about this, quote, Adam's business before he sinned was a constant pleasure to him. The garden was then dressed without any uneasy labor and kept without any uneasy care. But now his labor would bring weariness and would waste his body. The curse upon the ground which made it barren and produced thorns and thistles made his employment about it much more difficult and toilsome. If Adam had not sinned, are you ready? He would not have sweated. And along with toil at work, Here's, to me, the worst of it. Unrelenting terror of death would also be man's lot. Unrelenting terror of death. God said to Adam, in the sweat of your face, you will eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken, dust you are comprised of, and to the dust you will return. Now, he's just told me I'm going to be working the ground for my food but every time I look at that ground, it's calling to me because I'm going to return to it. And that's not the way it was supposed to be. 
I no longer like that ground. John Phillips writes this, From that day to this, the specter of death has haunted the planet. The very ground over which Adam had to labor would remind him daily that it was waiting to receive him again. I personally believe this is where midlife crises come from. Guys and gals, they reach a certain age and they go, "Uh uh-oh, I'm closer. I'm closer. I don't know how to handle it. I'm closer to that day. Time is flying by. Job said, my life is faster than a weaver's shuttle, faster than a runner. My life is speeding by. And the closer I get to it, the more I know that moment's coming when I die. I believe, personally, this is why people do drugs, drink alcohol, and try to, try to numb out of life. Because the ultimate reality is that one day you're going to die. And that is something you know deep down inside of you. It's, it's in the back of your head. You know that day is coming and, and it's hard to come to terms with. That ground's going to receive me again. He goes on to write, before the fall there was no death. Death came by sin. When Adam sinned, sin entered the world. Adam's sin brought death, the Bible says in Romans 5.12. Adam's sin brought death, and death spread to every single person. That's where death came from. Phillips goes on to write, death is a horrifying thing. Men mock it. They seek to rob it of its gruesomeness by embalming the dead and surrounding their coffins with garlands of flowers. That's where all the pyramids came from. The Egyptian pyramids are gigantic tombs decorated and all of those years and years of labor and and when you see the inside of these Egyptian tombs these people mummified and 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 their caskets and where they were buried surrounded by all kinds of jewelry and keepsakes and memories and and they actually believed that the loved ones were supposed to bring in meals for year after year after year at certain times and leave the meals in there and leave like you were leaving an apple for Santa Claus at night Believing that those dead loved ones were going to eat the meal. Could not accept that they had died. But death is still death. The king of terrors. The last enemy. The final catastrophe this side of eternity. It is the ultimate wage of sin. Death. But you know what I like? The good news is that Jesus Christ came to destroy this last great enemy of mankind, and I already can't wait for Easter. I can't wait to preach on Easter. I'm already, it's already burning in my heart. Why? Look at what the Bible says. Because God's children, this is out of Hebrews, because God's children are human beings made of flesh and blood, the Son, Jesus Christ, also became flesh and blood. For only as a human being could he die. And only by dying could he break the power of the devil. Who had the power of death. The devil was like a big bumblebee with a stinger. And the stinger was death. But Hebrews goes on to say, Only in this way could Jesus Christ set free all those who have lived their lives, their whole life, as slaves to the fear of dying. There you have it. The whole human race 
deep down in their innermost innermost are terrified of dying but what did jesus do about that in many of jesus statements he addressed our fear of death with a promise in in john 8 51 he said i tell you the truth anyone who obeys my teaching will say it with me everybody never die and what did he say in John eleven twenty six? Read it with me. Everyone who lives in me and believes in me will never, ever die. Well, hey, your body's going to die, but to be absent from the body for a Christian is to immediately be present with the Lord. You do not die. You do not die. So what the world is terrified of, Jesus delivers his children of. And it was no accident that our Lord Jesus Christ wore a crown of thorns upon his brow, the very symbol of the curse, that we might know that he became a curse for us. Now I want you to look at Adam's good confession of faith. This is powerful stuff. And uh, we'll close with this. Adam made a confession of faith. He called his wife Eve. Now what does that mean? The mother of all living. Now what had happened prior to this? Genesis 3.15. From the seed of the woman... I'm going to destroy the serpent. What was Adam doing? He was accepting by faith Genesis 3.15. So he called Eve after the fall, after it was all said and done and they were sitting in the ashes of failure. He believed the promise of God and based on the promise of God, he said, I call you Eve, the mother of all living. This was not just any confession, it was a confession of faith. God had just pronounced the sentence of death upon the race, but had also declared the woman's seed would bring salvation, and Adam believed this. He confessed his faith by calling his wife the mother of all living, not the mother of all dying. Amen. He had believed God's word that he would send the bruiser of Satan's head in a redemptive act that would reverse the curse, and Adam believed the presence and the promise of God, and that's why he called her Eve. It came out of his mouth. His faith came out of his mouth. She shall be called Eve, the mother of what is alive. It was by faith that he who had named all of God's creation now named his wife after God's promise, and his faith was instantly honored at the bank of heaven. Now notice the covering, and we're going to close with this. This is so important, so powerful. Adam had soon discovered that the fig leaves of his own self-effort would not do in the presence of God. Remember after the fall, they covered themselves with fig leaves and they knew they were naked? Basically, they saw what God saw. They knew what God knew. And now he has realized that his own effort to cover his sin has not worked. Condemned by God's judgment and with only time standing between himself and the final execution of the death sentence... Everything now depended on God. And God soon revealed that he would rescue them and he would rescue us by grace. This is revealed in what the Lord did next. And the Lord God made clothing from animal skins from, for Adam and his wife. There in Eden, are you ready? Blood was shed for the very first time. Adam and Eve must have stood there in shock as they saw one of God's beautiful creatures taken in their stead and slaughtered before their eyes. It's blood shed that their sin might be covered. This was the first dramatic illustration of the future event at Calvary of the horror of sin 
when the bruiser of Satan's head, the Lord Jesus Christ, would be bloodied and slain to cover the sins of men. The last thing God did is He acted governmentally. He drove Adam and Eve out of the Garden of Eden. Why? Because in that garden stood the tree of life. If in their fallen condition they had eaten of that tree, they would have remained in their sins forever. They would have become like the fallen angels for whom redemption is impossible. So God turned the guilty couple out of the garden out of care, compassion, and mercy to make sure they were kept away. An armed guard comprised of cherubim was dispatched to guard its entrance and likely a cherub armed with a flaming sword stood at the gate of Eden until the great flood came and altered the face of the earth. This is powerful stuff. So remember, as we head into next week, remember this, that lesson of the blood, when the animal was slain, Adam and Eve taught Cain and Abel. Keep that in mind. Let's stand together, can we? How many of you are thankful for the sacrificed lamb? Amen. Amen. All right, Father, we just thank you right now for your blessing, for your help. We thank you, Lord, for what we see in this powerful Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for pointing out the weaknesses in both genders so that we can be shored up by the Word of God. Thank you, Lord, for showing us the truth about our fallen nature and what has happened to humankind. Thank you for sending a Redeemer. Let's sing one stanza and worship the Lord. Oh, God is so good. If you believe He's good, sing it now. See what we're dealing with next time? The first false religion and the coming catastrophe of the flood. Don't miss it. It's a mind blower. It's powerful. Well, if you're glad you came tonight, say amen.